Good morning to the church. It's, uh, it's great to be back up here with you again. My name is Peter Milliken. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting new, um, we're really glad you're here. And I hope what I share this morning is helpful for you. Derek Anthony Redmond, he was a uh, professional 400-meter track runner in the late 80s, early 90s. And he trained for years leading up to the 88 Seoul Olympic Games. And uh, he was a representative of Great Britain. And blood, sweat and tears went into his training for an Olympic medal. And that was his dream. He just wanted a medal. However, injury forced the British athlete to withdraw from the 88 Seoul Games just 10 minutes before his 400-meter heat. All the hard work, all the early mornings, all the healthy dieting, all the discipline, all the getting up really early before the sun and training down the drain. Failure. His body let him down. And his dream of getting a medal was gone. Just 10 minutes before the race was due to start. So, Redmond felt he had everything to prove in Barcelona four years later. Not to his peers so much, but later he said to himself. Another four years of hard work, constant sacrifice, healthy dieting, intense training, pushing his body beyond the limits before 1992 Barcelona. Redmond wanted that medal. Didn't care what colour, he just wanted a medal. And his campaign started out well. He qualified fastest in the heats across the whole field, quickest, leading into the semi-final. And as the gun signaled for the semi-final, bang, he took off. He was doing well. About the 250 metre mark, snap, when he's hamstring. The one-time British 400-meter record holder pulled sharply up, and the rest of the field went on by, leaving him on the ground, on his knees, crippled, his Olympic dream over. Failure. Not once, twice. We've all experienced failure at some level. Whether it be on the sporting field, in the classroom, at the workplace, in a relationship, on the stock market. I'll put my hand up for that one. I've got this amazing ability to buy a stock at its highest level and then sell it when it's low. I don't know how I've managed to do that, but it's just one of my, my skills that I've developed over time. So I learnt my lesson on that one when I was younger. But we have all failed in variety of areas of life. None have got through unscathed. What about following Jesus? Any failures out there this morning? What about being a disciple of Jesus? That's the same thing, following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. What do we do when we fail to follow the master? Because we all do. 
Right? There is nobody who sits here this morning that hasn't failed in some capacity at following Jesus. It's not a question of, of if, it's when. Right? And all of us have another failure not too far around the, around the corner. Good news this morning, you're going to fail. Hope you weren't feeling too positive about church. Whether it's a sin we continually return back to, a harsh word that we spoke to our spouse, maybe it's an opportunity to do good, but we don't take it. An opportunity to stand up for our faith, but we shy away. Maybe it's just selfishness. It's, it's the choice of to better yourself at the expense of somebody else. A lie that you tell to avoid embarrassment. And you do it for good reasons. But it's still wrong. The list could go on and on and on of places that we can fail and have failed and will fail as we follow Jesus. And chances are you can sit there and think of recently somewhere where you have fallen short. And if you can't, ask your spouse or someone close to you, and they probably can tell you. So what do we do? What does Jesus think of those failures? What does he think of us when we fail? Today we're going to look at the ending of the book of Mark. And we're going to see Jesus' instructions to his disciples who failed him miserably. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see a great failure, a greater exchange, and the greatest restoration. But before we get to our passage at the end of Mark, there's a few things you need to know about the book of Mark because we're picking up the story at the end, right? And there's a whole bunch of stuff that has gone on before this that Mark wants you to know about. They see there's certain things about Mark's gospel that are distinct to his gospel. They're important to know when you come to study the text. It's all about context and what Mark is doing and showing you about Jesus. See, Mark is taking the reader from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. He's taking you on this trip of discipleship. And it's a discipleship to Jesus, and it takes place through various characters in the book, but it most commonly takes place in the disciples who are following Jesus the closest. And this trip of discipleship, it starts in Galilee, where Jesus calls his disciples first and foremost to come and follow him. And as they follow him, he reveals himself to them and who he is. And there's nothing more explicit in Jesus' revelation of himself than in Mark chapter 9, where the transfiguration takes place. And Jesus takes his three closest followers, Peter, James, and John, goes up a mountain and he is transfigured before them, where he, he becomes white as dazzling snow. Let's read the text here quickly in chapter 9, verse 2. This is what it says. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. 
there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And I want you to remember that. And the way that Jesus is described here by Mark, wearing dazzling white garments. Because this is going to be important for our text today. And as they come down the mountain, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Now, we know that Jesus made many trips to Jerusalem for feasts and festivals. But as you read through Mark, he takes all of that material of Jesus on the way to Jerusalem and he puts it together side by side. So it seems like one single trip from Galilee to Jerusalem. And as he's going to Jerusalem, he tells his followers that he is going to die. He's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to be resurrected. And he tells them three times on the way to Jerusalem. Three times he tells them. And in the final section of Mark, okay, we've got three sections. Galilee, on the way to Jerusalem, and then we have in Jerusalem. And while he's in Jerusalem, this is one third of the story of Mark, is the last week of Jesus' life in Jerusalem where they're learning about Jesus' faithfulness to his mission. And so you can break Mark's book into three sections. Galilee is all about the identity of Jesus. This is who I am and I reveal myself to you. On the way to Jerusalem, he's telling them all about the mission. This is what I'm going to do. This is why I'm here. And then when he gets to Jerusalem, he is faithful to his mission. You see, Mark is this brilliant masterpiece of literary genius revolving around Jesus. And every story of Jesus is strategically positioned and it all points to one big theological idea that Mark wants his reader to understand. And that is us. We are the reader right now. So what is it? What is this theological idea that Mark wants you to get? It's these three things. And put into a sentence, it's on the screen. This is the big theological idea of Mark, okay? The disciple is one who follows Jesus, discerning his person, accepting his mission, and being faithful to him on the way to glory through suffering. And this is why when people talk about Mark as a book and the aspect that Mark looks at with Jesus, they call him the suffering servant. The disciple is one who follows Jesus, discerning his person, accepting his mission and being faithful to him on the way to glory through suffering. That is what Mark wants his readers to understand. That is what he wants us to understand. So, how did the disciples go? This is our first point. A great failure. They suck. To put it shortly, they suck. They always get it wrong. Over and over and over, the disciples come up short. They don't truly understand who Jesus is. They don't accept his mission. And when it's time 
for Jesus to suffer, they flee. Let's read it. Mark 14, verse 46 to 52. This is Jesus being arrested. Let's see how the disciples go. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. The one of the, then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. It is one of the most peculiar details of the arrest of Jesus that Mark records. And many have read that wondering, why did you include that? All of us want to know who it is. Mark doesn't tell us. Make no mistake though, this is failure by the disciple in question. Jesus had called his followers to give up all in following him. But this disciple gives up all in order to abandon. As do the rest of the disciples, right? And as we follow the story, uh, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago that Mark focuses now on Peter. As he followed followed Jesus to his trial, waits outside and what happens? He fails. Three times he is associated with Jesus and three times he denies it. And Jesus goes before the religious leaders, the Roman government is sentenced to death by crucifixion. And he's stripped, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's spat upon, he's flogged, and he's nailed to a Roman cross. And he dies. But he doesn't stay dead. He's resurrected. And last Sunday, you'll remember, we celebrated the fact that Jesus is alive. And that is good news. And in, uh, in Mark, we read that some of Jesus' followers who are women come to an empty tomb. And they are going to help us today to know what to do when we fail. So we'll read the story now. This is the text we're finally in today. And Mark is very quick in the way that he tells the story of Jesus. It's the shortest gospel, and one of the most common words that he uses is immediately. Immediately this happened, and immediately this happened. It is fast-paced. And so we're going to start from uh, Jesus actually dying on the cross to preparation day, to burial, to resurrection, as Mark tells the story. And what we're going to see here is our second point, and that is a greater exchange. So let's read the text. Mark 15, verse 42. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, 
went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked if, is, uh, if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that is the ending of the book of Mark. Very abrupt. And you think that can't be the ending. In fact, some people, a little while later, thought the same thing. And they took some endings from Luke and John and Matthew and tied it on the end there. But that is the ending of the book of Mark. So, they come to the tomb, the women, Jesus has been resurrected. And there is this appearance of a young man dressed in white robes, sitting on the right side. Now... Stick with me here, okay? We're going to hopefully tie this all together, but you have to stick with me to see what Mark has done here in the retelling of the events. In Mark 9, we have the transfiguration, and you have the appearance of Jesus described as wearing dazzling white clothes. Now, I've put this up on the screen. I'm going to be honest. I made this. It's terrible, I know that. All those people who are, you know, artistically minded are looking at that and want to throw up. I'm just trying to help communicate it. There we have transfiguration, top left, Mark 9, Jesus wearing dazzling white. Now, there are only two mentions of white clothes in the book of Mark. One is in Mark chapter 9, transfiguration. And the other is in the text we just read, describing the young man on the right. So these two, Mark seems to connect. Secondly, you have, during the arrest of Jesus, the naked young man fleeing in fear and ditching his linen cloth that he was wearing, that I have pictured here in the yellowy-brown colour. Then you have Joseph burying the body. Jesus has been crucified. He has gone to the cross and Joseph gets the body. He takes the body and he buries it. And the text tells us twice 
that he buries it in linen cloth. Once again, these are the only two times in the book of Mark that linen cloth is mentioned. And so it seems that Mark is connecting these two events. And it's important to see that this this naked man, this barrel bolter, is described by Mark as a young man. Young man. What is Mark trying to show us? The young man who is left naked and ashamed, who flees as a failing disciple, leaves his linen cloth covering. And this seems to be the same covering that Jesus is buried in. Now, not literally the same one, but Mark is making a literary representation. What's he saying? The failure of this young man who followed Jesus is put onto Jesus and buried with him. Meanwhile, at the resurrection, there is a young man sitting at the right of the tomb wearing a robe described the same of that of Jesus at the transfiguration, white. This implies that while Jesus wears the failing disciples' clothes, the failing disciple wears the pure white clothing of Christ. This is a greater exchange that takes place through the events of the cross and the resurrection. And to take it one step closer, the young man is described as sitting on the right. No other gospel writer talks about where he sits. But Mark tells us he's on the right, the very place of prominence for the Son of God in Psalm 110. This is the gospel played out through Mark's literary genius and retelling. It is good news for every disciple of Jesus. The failure and sin of every disciple of Jesus has been taken on and buried with Christ. In exchange, we receive his white robes of righteousness. And it's for this reason that Jesus extends an invitation. Actually, it's more than that. It's a command through the young man to the women to go and tell the disciples and Peter. He singles him out because he failed worse than anyone else. Go and tell the disciples and Peter to meet me at Galilee. The very place it all began. Let's go back to where it all began and start again with Jesus on the trip of discipleship. There is hope for disciples who fail. For the follower who has failed to discern, to accept and be faithful to the mission of Jesus, there is hope for all who will follow Jesus on this trip of discipleship, albeit stumbling and failing Clumsy, hesitant, because of what he has done. Their shame, our shame, is exchanged for righteousness. There is hope indeed. Failure is not a dead end. What is seemingly the end, seemingly the end, is actually an invitation back to the beginning. To walk with Jesus again. 
this leads to the greatest restoration. You know, we are called Restoration Church. Because we are a group of people who have come to believe in a God who restores people to what they, what God had originally made man to be. And God invites this restoration of us through Jesus Christ, His Son. And God is continually restoring us, bit by bit, day by day, in spite of our best efforts to disrupt it through failure, through sin, through passiveness, through laziness, through idolatry, through lust, through selfishness, through distraction, through unfaithfulness. The list goes on. It does not stop God's restoring work. Though there has been a great failure, there is a greater exchange, which leads to the greatest restoration. And all of this is possible because of the grace of God. So many times, I slip into a works mentality. That somehow, even though I've been saved by grace through faith, and there's nothing that I can do, now it's up to me. Now somehow I have to roll up my sleeves and get on with my, my works and prove my worth. And when I get it wrong, I put myself in a spiritual timeout until I've earned up some good, reputable behavior with God or got some more runs on the board before I can return to Him. You ever do that? You sin, you fail. And you think, I just need to give myself some distance from the Lord. Let things cool a little. And you think, I can't talk to God about this now. I need to clean myself up a little bit. Then I'll come back to Him. That's not grace. That's not the gospel. God's grace alone makes a renewed walk with Jesus possible whenever we would like to return to Him. And we should be so quick to return to God because we recognize without Him, without His Lordship, we, we make a mess of our lives. Let me ask you, where, where, else, where else can you find this kind of grace, this kind of love. I'm serious. I mean, if there is somebody else out there that offers you this, if there's another way that's better than this, please come tell me. Where, where you have someone who knows every aspect of you, sees it all, your sin, your failure, and he's already died for the punishment you rightfully deserve. He completely forgives and makes you a son, a daughter, invites you and accepts you back to Him with a renewed relationship when you fail. And He always does what is best for you and ultimately is changing you into more of who you were created to be. Being more like Christ. And all of this is accomplished by His work. His enabling. His Spirit. 
We just have to decide to meet him back at Galilee. Honestly, where can you find that? Is there any other religious system that has anything that comes close to that? I haven't found it. I've never heard of it. In fact, I, I hear the opposite where it's, you need to work yourself up the ladder. And hopefully, if you do enough, if you be enough, if you're kind enough, maybe God will have mercy on you at the end. Or maybe you'll be reincarnated into something better. But if you're not, you'll go down. Worse, you'll get reincarnated into a cat. Just give up by then. My church uh, history professor used to say this line, and I just, just be careful, I don't want you to take it out of context, but in light of what we've been talking about, he used to say, the beauty of Christianity is that we are succeeding even when we fail. You will not hear another religion say those kinds of things. The beauty of Christianity is that we are succeeding even when we fail. So all you miserable fails out there, let's get back on the road. Back on the road again. Back to Galilee. Jesus is waiting. I thought we'd sing On the Road Again by Willie Nelson to finish this morning. then I had a change of heart. And I want to help us just with a few practical things of how do we get back to Galilee? What does that look like? It's not a, it's not a literal journey. We don't need to get on a plane and go to Israel. How do we get back to Galilee? So here's a few things when you fail. You have to keep coming back to the gospel. Recognize that Jesus didn't choose you because of your good works. Romans 5 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You were never chosen because of works. So, firstly, confess your sin to God, tell Him. Tell him where you failed and ask for his forgiveness. Secondly, you have to be willing to surrender. Surrender those desires in you that are contrary to following Jesus. If you're not prepared to give up those things, then you're not going to be able to follow Jesus in the way that he asks us to do. Remember, he said, if, if you want to save your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you'll find it. You have to be willing to surrender. Thirdly, you need to make amends with the others who have been affected by your sin or failure. Go to them, confess, and ask for their forgiveness. Not offering excuses or cop-outs. Just own your actions. Own the part that you played 
even if it's small or minute, and ask for their forgiveness. They may not get there quickly. They may not be ready to be able to forgive right there and then, and that's okay. You need to be patient with them. But you need to make amends with those who have been affected by your sin or failure. You need to talk with those who you're doing life with about these things. Inform them about what has taken place, including your sin, your repentance, and seeking to make amends uh, with those who it's affected, and your desire to walk with Jesus going forward. For those at Restoration Church or in community groups, this would be a great space and place for this to take place. And lastly, go forward with Jesus. Resting in His great sacrifice, seeking to stay close to Him by reading His Word, speaking to Him regularly, and reminding yourself of the gospel each and every day. Continuing to die to self. We all know that's easier said than done. I also wonder if there's other people around you who you might need to remind them of the gospel on a regular basis. Just as you need to be reminded, you should be reminding others who you are close with, who you walk with, who you know. Go forward with Jesus. So, are you willing to get back on the road of discipleship? Let's go back to Galilee, to our Saviour, the one who is faithful, the one who has proven to be worthy of trust and belief. I've got a short video that I'd like to show you of Derek Redman in his 400-metre race at Barcelona in 1992. So watch this, and I'll come up and finish.
that was uh, Threadman's father that made his way out onto the track. And uh, that video uh, gets me. It got me as I was preparing. Because I think there's a, there's a part of that that is very accurate to what Jesus does for us when we fail. And um, I think sometimes we think we're on the track by ourselves, And when we fail, we fall into a, a failing heap, almost. And we, we don't even know what to do. Or how to go forward. And uh, I don't know how many were in the stadium that day. Tens of thousands. There's only one that went out onto the track to help Redmond up. And he stayed with him all the way to the end. And you could see the, the pain, the embarrassment, the disappointment. He's weeping as he comes down that final straight, you know. And none of us like to fail. There's not one person here who enjoys failure. And yet we all fail. We all fall. And it would be nice to be able to do the race by ourselves. Like all of us would like that in some sense. The independence of us and, and the world tells us, figure it out, be better, make it on your own. that is not the Christian message. That is not the gospel. And many of us have realized that when we've tried to do that, we just keep falling. And Redmond got up and he, he tried to hobble, right? He tried to get there on his own. And slowly he's making his way, but he realized he couldn't. And he needed his dad. And... Uh, Reading an article about this, Redmond said um, when his dad came out, he said, I just got to finish. You've got to help me finish. We have a saviour who doesn't leave us when we fail. He didn't leave us when we were failures, when we were sinners. He came. And he's still coming and inviting you. Come back to Galilee. Come back to Galilee. We'll keep going.
We'll keep going together. We'll get to the end together. We can't make it on our own, but we do have a Saviour who wants to walk with us, who takes our failure and buries them in his death and then walks with us for the whole race. I don't know where everybody's at this morning. I can't know that. But I reckon there's probably some out there who are maybe feeling like a failure. Maybe you just feel like, I cannot get myself together. No matter what I do, no matter how I try, nothing seems to work. Or you've just gone through a season of failure. And... um, that you've made choices that were wrong and uh, sinful. And you're wearing some of those consequences now. And, uh, and maybe you're just doing that on your own. And you need to know there is, there is a saviour who wants you to come back to him and walk with him in that. And I hope there's a people here as well at this church who will walk with one another in that, the way that Jesus walks with us. And so as we finish this morning, we're going to sing an old hymn called How Great Thou Art. And I think it's very fitting when you look at what we have done, where we are at, the way that we fail, and the goodness of God. Not just good, great. But He saw us in our failure, in our sin, and He made a way for us to be restored. And He just keeps making ways through the cross that we might one day be more and more like Christ and be glorified with Him. So I'm going to pray for us and the band is going to lead us in that final hymn this morning. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we are sometimes so slow to come back to you because we sin and we fail and we get it wrong and you know it. You see it. We think we can hide or we feel like we have to. And that's not what you've called us to do. It's not why Jesus came. We no longer have to stay away. And so help us to draw near. I pray for anyone who might feel like a failure this morning. God, that your Holy Spirit would remind them of the truth of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of our own works, so that no one can boast. But it is through Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. And we rest in that. We want to come back. 
We want to go back to Galilee and walk with our Savior. And you make that possible, so help us to do that. We praise you this morning. You are great. You are greater than any of our sin and failure. You are the great God, greater than any other religion or worldview or false God. And you are the only one that provides true solutions. And so we praise you this morning as we sing how great thou art. Amen.